Hello everyone and welcome to the 10th Second Podcast. My name is Keith Woodward and I'll be your host. If you missed the last episode, you got introduced to a lot of the players from the National Championship team. You learned their origin stories and how they ended up at Quinnipiac. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Jim Kennedy, the very first coach, and Jim Warden. Jim Warden was the most outstanding player in the National Championship game when he played for Michigan Tech. That same year, 1975, Quinnipiac started its program. You won't believe what Jim Kennedy had to go through on day one and how different things were for Jim Warden. Joining us on the 10th Second Podcast is the very first coach that Quinnipiac College back in the day, Quinnipiac College Braves, has ever had. And his name is Jim Kennedy. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Let's go back to literally the very, very beginning. How does it happen that you become Quinnipiac Braves' first men's hockey coach with never, ever coaching before in your life? How does that happen? Well, there was a story in the New Haven Register or Journal Courier about Quinnipiac starting a hockey team. And I was hanging around one morning reading it with a couple of guys I lived with, and I said, hmm, I wonder what they're looking for. Because players I had played with at New Haven had gone into high school coaching, and I wasn't a teacher, so I was in the painting business. I said, that might be something to do in the wintertime. I'll look into it. There's a hockey shop in Hamden. Dick Agliardi was the ex-Yale coach. And I said to him, I said, Dick, what do you think they're looking for up there? And he said, probably a guy like yourself. I said, oh. So I called up and I got an interview. And you interviewed with Bert Kahn? Bert Kahn and a group of students. And it was, uh, I hadn't had many interviews. <laughs> I was up, you know, I said, this is a good experience to present myself and for anything, just get interview experience. And how old were you in 1975? I was probably 29. Okay. 29 or 30. I went through the first interview, and they called me back and said, you're, you're qualified for the second interview. Congratulations. Yeah. So <laughs> then I started to take it a little serious, you know. I said, well, I know some guys that went to Quinnipiac. I know, call my high school coach. I'll call my New Haven coach. Tell them I'm applying for the job. And... I put you down as a reference. And they said, oh, fine, you know. So we went with that, and then Bert called me and said, you're the coach. And I probably thought, now what did I do? <laughs> oh, boy. So I came up, and I met, and I was interviewed again about my background and playing and education and what have you, and kind of went from there. The program gets approved by the college at that time, not the university. How many pucks do you have? We probably had 25 if we had any. I can't remember whether we had particularly pucks or not, but I knew we needed equipment and a schedule and whatever else we could need. Bert told me we have a budget. 
you've got the ice form over here to skate it. So we had to get some kind of a game plan where we're going to have tryouts or skating or anything. We can get the rink at night, probably around 9 o'clock, and have tryouts. So we put some signs up in the school, and I'm sure some students did, about hockey tryouts. Literally in the residence halls trying to drum up support. Exactly. So the first night we had a practice, I was in the parking lot sitting in my car saying, well, when do you go in? Yeah, I watched guys pull up in their cars and get out and walk in. And a couple of guys uh, walked behind when I was walking. Oh, boy, I wonder if they know you can't do that. <laughs> so I was listening to the Red Sox. I was more concerned about the Red Sox. And I said, well, this is, maybe they'll make the pennant this year. But I got to go in sometime. So I went in. So let me just interrupt for a second. So the guys that were walking in ahead of you were doing some things that they probably smoking a cigarette or... Or maybe a weed. Maybe a little weed. Okay. Yeah. Get that? Yeah. So they got dressed. We came out. We skated around in circles for a while. and Not everybody was a skater. So where do you begin? Well, it was open audition time, right? The sign yeah. didn't say you had to skate. It just said they right. were looking for hockey a players. A lot of guys, hey, a rink, boards... This is an experience to come and play. And then there were some high school players like Mike McKeon, who was the first captain. And he was pretty good. He had played on a state championship team and everything in high school. So I've got him as my high level and guys that were managers or guys that liked to play or played on the club here. And then other guys. We had a scrimmage. Then I went home and tried to figure out what to do. We can make some lines up and see how it goes. Do you have helmets back then? Yeah. I think the school provided them. Okay. And the players wore a muzzle. Oh. Not a mouth guard, but a, a muzzle. Hmm. I was lucky. <laughs> that was, that was con you were considered lucky if you had a muzzle? Yeah, they can't talk. <laughs> so, so you got to set up a schedule. And you had to set up practice routines. Right. So we had to carve up the budget. So much for games, so much for practice, so much for equipment, so much for me. So we had two or three games on our schedule. And uh, we had to start calling people. And there was a formula that we had for that, that we had the ice form rented on Sunday nights. So we wanted to get teams that would come and play us on Sunday nights and we could go and play them. And you had to make phone calls. So you'd sit here and you'd call and call and call until you get, hey, you got one. A couple of the clubs were real clubs and they might have been financially weak. They might have the ice for a game at home, but how are they gonna get to us and things? And we had to, we did the best we could with it. So you're literally calling the other head coach or some well, there is there the head of the club. The club, so it's <laughs> you the coach calling a student yeah, or their athletic department to find out who's in charge. And there's no cell phones, right? There's no cell no. phones. There's nothing. I mean, you're calling a rotary phone, right. or maybe even a pay phone in, right. a, in a dorm room someplace. Yeah, I'm, I don't know what I'm calling. Yeah. But anyway, we got games. So it says here you start coaching a team, and you need the fundamental things like a breakout play, a power play, a four-checking pattern, and et cetera. And some of these guys hadn't played on rinks. 
the a lazy offside, you know, that's all right, you know, just take it over. No, it's a rule, you gotta do it. <laughs> and we got the practices going and they the team was catching on pretty good. So we went to Central Connecticut, played. And we won our first game. Jim, you're one and better yeah. Who's better than you? Yeah. The the only thing I had overlooked was this is a bench and now we got the national anthem coming up. Well that went right by me before. And I'm standing on the bench watching the guys warm up, and they're not paying attention to the PA system. And Some PA system says, everybody please rise for the national anthem. And they're skating and shooting and everything. <laughs> then the lights dim, and the national anthem starts, and they all stop. On the ice? On the ice. But, but they're not in a line with their helmets off or anything. There's two guys looking at each other. When the lights came on, there was two guys looking at each other here. There was three sticks over there. There was a pellet over here. I said, oh, boy, you got to work on that. I didn't start from the real beginning here. But we won the game. We stopped at Lums on the way home. That was our stopping point. And what was that, like a local... Uh... Lums was like an Applebee's or a Friday's okay, or something. Okay, okay. Uh, you only had to be 18 to have Drink. a cocktail yep, in yep. those days. So. And that was in the budget? That you was could in the You could afford Lums? Well, we could afford to stop to eat. There was like five bucks a head or something. And uh, it didn't say anything about beer or anything. It just said the five bucks. <laughs> right, right. How you used your five dollars was your yeah. discretion. And I didn't really police things. I'll be on the bus ahead of you. So that's how the first game went. How many people at the game? Oh, God, I don't know. Could have been at 8 o'clock at night and a Tuesday or something up in uh, central Connecticut. It was on the road. Right. So I have no idea. Suffice it to say there wasn't a big crowd there for your first game? Oh, yeah. I don't even think there, there wasn't like admission or a student body from central. It was just... The players had the ice. And there was a referee that showed up, and so you're on your way. How many how many players did you have in the first team? If I looked at, I looked at a picture and it had 15, but seldom did we have 15 dressed, and uh, we'd have closer to 13, 12, and what I could do on the phone, I'd call guys up. Hey, can you play? You feel all right? You're going to get a letter. I'll give you a new stick. A letter being a varsity letter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which back then meant, I mean, it still means, I, th I still think the meaning is there, but back then yeah. it was literally a letter you would put on your jacket, right? Yeah, I guess, but, you know, it was a way to put it on your resume or something. So a few guys had enticed with that, and a couple of them were from right around here, and I told them, that, you know, you want to paint houses for the summer, uh, <laughs> see what we can do. So I had a little bit of a labor pool, too. <laughs> it was a two-for-one win for you. Yeah, yeah, things were working pretty good. Meanwhile, in the 1970s, recruiting was a little bit different for the big-time Division I programs. Jim Warden, a goalie, was the most outstanding player in the 1975 National Championship game, eventually ended up at Michigan Tech, but here's his recruiting tale, which was a lot different than trying to entice students with a stick and a $5 gift card to Lums. Yeah, so actually I took three visits. You were only allowed X amount of visits and so on and so forth. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what the rules are now. 
Uh, my very first was with her. Herb Brooks had just been appointed. This is in April 1st, uh, so of 74. Uh, no, excuse me, of 72. Uh, was just named uh, head hockey coach of the University of Minnesota. I, I, there was John Mariucci before him, and then there was a gentleman by the name of Glenn Sonmore. Uh, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure uh, resigned and went to uh, the WH, uh, went to uh, Minnesota Fighting States. Or anyway, he resigned from the University of Minnesota. They named Herb Brooks as the coach. Herb was very green. He, this is his, this was his first opportunity. I'm not sure which high school he came out of uh, in Minnesota, uh, but he called me up. He called Rod Anderson, my coach, and said he'd like to come over and visit with me and all that. I, tur- I It turned out that I was the second goalie he was after. I'm pretty sure the first was Peter Lepresti, who went to the University of Denver. Uh, there was a coach there by the name of Murray Armstrong that was a legend in his own right, and I, I, Peter, uh, Peter Peter made a good choice. Denver U was uh, national champions, I believe, in 71, certainly 70, a year or two before. Anyway, um, I was recruited by Herbie. Um, I did not select University of Minnesota for one reason and one reason only. Herbie was green, but he was honest, and he told me that I would not play as a freshman, that there was a junior and a senior ahead of me, and that they would be doing the things, but I'd be practicing with the team and all that. Well, that pretty much, in my mind, knocked me out. The second uh, gentleman that recruited me pretty heavily uh, was Louis Lamarillo out of Providence College. Uh, that year at Blake, we took a, we went and played in a high school hockey tournament. Hill Academy was there. I believe Andover, Exeter. There was a number of prep schools in this thing. And I remember playing on an out, the first time I ever played an outdoor rink. Uh, and we were playing in the championship game, I believe. But anyway, uh, there was some, some college coaches there. Louis was one of them. He liked the way I played, and, and he offered me a full ride, and I accepted the recruiting trip to Providence. But when I got there, honestly, Louie wasn't there, and they put me up in an old barracks dorm room where I was the only one in that dorm room. It was on little army cots. I had to go to a, to a window and get a blanket and all that sort of stuff. It was a very strange recruiting trip, but... I, I didn't go to Providence College. It, it, it didn't impress me. The The other team was the team I went to, Michigan Tech, and I was at home. John McGinnis, who is a legend at this point, was the wing, winningest coach in college hockey. I believe he's probably number three now, or I, I'm not really sure where he stands. I was familiar with Michigan Tech, frankly, because of their goaltending history. Tony Esposito went there, for instance. And uh, you talk with the guys on your team, and they'll tell you, one of the best things that can happen to a to a university is have their alumni do well and become known. You had a toes boy that played in the National Hockey League uh, for many years. Uh, that when a kid sees that 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 school is on their radar, and thus Michigan Tech was on mine. Uh, and when John McGinnis called me. He just point blank said, "Jim, I'm not happy with my goaltending." 
If you accept the scholarship, the full ride to come here, you're going to come in as a number one goalie. We will get you any kind of equipment you want, whatever you're used to. It's yours. We want you to come up and see the university, meet some of the guys. I said, I'll be glad to be there ASAP. The, the long and the short of it went on a trip. The, a couple of the guys picked me up, and we went right over to the old rink called D Stadium. It's a historic rink in Houghton, Michigan. But the ice was out of it, and we had a wonderful game of uh, ball hockey in the rink. Uh, there was almost the whole team there. There was like 12 or 13 of them. It was spring break when I went. Most of the, some of the guys had gone back home to Canada. They were almost all Canadians at Michigan Tech. I was only one of three Americans. That recruiting trip, I saw John McGinnis all of 15 minutes, which was in the new rink. So he sat me down, told me pretty much the same thing that it was on uh, that told me on the phone. And uh, boy, when I left there, I I, I knew where I was going. Quinnipiac was about the furthest thing from Michigan Tech in 1975. For Jim Kennedy, he was a painter. And this gig as a coach, that was his secondary occupation. He had to deal with things that you never would deal with, with Minnesota and Michigan Tech. And the icing on the cake? With no equipment manager, Jim was responsible for the uniforms. And one day, they got stolen out of the car. It wasn't a career. This was a part-time job for a while. See where it goes. And, you know, I'd say to Bert, like, do I get any courses? No, you're part-time. There's, there's no fringes involved. And I wasn't insured either. So it, it was a little thin, but you do it. You just don't quit. You, you, you don't get negative about it. You just do it. It can only get better. So that's what I did. Year one... Never had a program at Quinnipiac College back then. You go eight and five. Yeah. With people that you call on the phone, put up signs in the dorms, and hopefully they're going to show up. Yeah, to an extent. It, yeah, we'll go along with that. But a lot that, of them were. That's pretty good. I'd say 10 of them were a good nucleus. The other five are, you need. <laughs> we're on the fence. You need 100 to make five. Fair enough. Eight and five in the first year. And you played hockey yourself, right? Yeah. Right? And so where'd you play? At New Haven. Yeah. Was there ever a thought that you would be, this could turn into a full-time job at some point? Uh, there might have been a thought of it, but in reality, it wasn't going to happen. I don't think any of the coaches here were really, well, Some half of the coaches were on a part-time basis. Track or the cross-country coach, the soccer coach, myself. We were just part-time. And the hockey team was on a four-year probationary thing. So Four-year probationary to see if it would work out, so then they could right. get to a league. Or just continue having or the program. program. And that's how it got approved by the university or by the college? Yeah, I don't know all the workings of between Bert and the college and the students that petitioned to have the program. Yeah, I have some of the details in a uh, Chronicle article. I was actually just looking it up on my phone. I'm not sure I can pull it up that quick. But um, the uh, yeah, the program got had to get approved by the uh, Senate for for financial resources to go towards the program. Yeah, they they were on a 
to me, it was a one-year probationary. Next year is a probation. We'll, we'll go as long as it works. Yeah. So I kind of thought, well, you better keep making it work. Figure out a way. Don't, don't do certain things. You know, I'd say wear a jacket and tie on the road. Oh. What if you don't have a tie? How do you tie one? All right, come on. Give me a break. Guess we won't have that rule. You know, so you, you had to. You had to be flexible. You had to be flexible. was right. <laughs> That's how you would say it in 2023. But, uh, but you scored a lot of goals, right? I mean, your team was yeah. pretty com- your team was pretty competitive in year one, uh, yep. you know. I mean, you won one game 13 to one. You won another game uh, 12 to zero. Well, one game, uh, Roger Williams beat us in our first time go around. And right near the end of the season, we beat them. And they were a real legitimate program. And that's when I really felt, oh boy, we got from A to Z and we did real well with it. I think I had one issue along the way that the fraternity used to come to our games. And we had two or three guys in the fraternity on the team. But they had played club hockey. And every winter, the fraternity had a winter weekend. So we have two games that weekend. They said, well, we're not going to be here. So now, I got a little bit of a dilemma. Well, if your intent is not to be here, you shouldn't play at all. I'll find some other guys. Or, like Burke said, you can't do anything until they miss the game. So, all right, we did that, but we we got through it. But I remember that was a, a discussion the fraternity and I had together a little bit, and uh, it worked out. Stuff looked good. And so along comes year two. Yeah. Right. You did successful in year two, and in year two, struggled a little bit, maybe a little bit more stiffer competition. Three and fifteen and one. Yeah, we had a tough schedule. See, the school was a Division two school, and the hockey was entering Division three in the NCAA. And Bert could help a little bit with the scheduling. Some of his basketball schedule teams. He had an in with like Bryant, New Haven, Bentley. Not Bentley, maybe, but Bryant and New Haven were Division Two, And they were given scholarships. And we weren't giving much of any. You were giving meal money. Yeah, we were trying to st- still promote and advertise. So we got bombed in those games. And, and it got rough. The Division Three teams that were in our radius, would, first of all, would try to schedule in-state for the budget purposes, and then we'd go out of state and make a radius because the coach would take a coach out of state, and that's different in the budget. And we're still looking for home-and-home games on Sunday nights. So we picked up some teams within the radius that were good Division Three teams that all wanted a win. If it was questionable, they weren't looking for us. But Trinity, Iona, they were good. Westfield State won Division Three, And we took our lumps up there, and physically we'd get beat up and hurt. One week, we played in the Wesleyan Tourney. And the only reason we were in the Wesleyan Tourney was to play Wesleyan so they could get to the finals of their tourney, which they did. I think if that was the second year, we played one of those teams, we played four games in a week. Against the same team? No, 
I oh, guess. just four, four different four individual. Four division, three games. We came back from Christmas vacation, and the first game we played, we beat Fairfield, which was big. And then we went to the Wesley attorney, and we got beat up twice. And then by the end of the week, we had to play Iona. And there was hardly anybody left. Yeah, it looks like looks week. like looks like you played Connecticut College. You won sixteen to five. At Bryant, you lost nineteen to five. At Westfield State, you lost nineteen to four. And then you played Wagner six three, all yeah. in a span of seven days. Yeah, that that, that would that never game. happen today. No, but I don't think NHL teams play seven play four games in seven days. No, and that's how we had to schedule them. And well, that's that's remarkable. Know, that's what we could get. You know, and it it was pretty hard for the guys. It was hard physically, mentally. It was all about, I guess, promoting the sport. And what was recruiting like? It, Did you actually? It recruit? was pretty hard. Other than the dorms. <laughs> yeah, I I was going to show you. I, I I'd sent a letter. There was a big book in the athletic office. Okay. That was a directory of all the high schools in the country. So every night, or certain nights, I'd come up here, and I'd say Massachusetts, and I'd just go through it. If they had a hockey team, I'd address an envelope, and I'd had a form letter. Uh, this I'm Jim Kennedy from Quinnipiac College. We've started a Division Three hockey program. If you have any students interested in playing college hockey and non-scholarship, uh, send me their name. And some of the coaches would respond, and then I'd send the player a flyer. Your name has been brought to my attention, et cetera. And, you know, height, weight, college board scores, team records, shoots left, how much you weigh. and Invite the kid down for a, an interview. And that's what you did. So, And no scholarships? No, it was financial aid. Right. But, you know, a lot of kids were looking for more. So this might be the last pick and by the time the last pick of school comes around the dorms are all full so now they got the motel up at the corner <laughs> come on you put them in because you didn't have any room here so right. we well had... that's what they were using too half the dorms up there oh really or half the, there was a lot of kids there yeah i had probably three or four in there every year so they, they wanted to get over to the dorms. And there was three kids in each dorm room, I think. Yeah. So it's another thing. That's what you get, you know. I had one kid from West Haven. His mother qualified for fin financial aid. But it turned out it was cheaper for him to go to Yukon than for him to commute from West Haven and buy a car. Because <laughs> the car wasn't included in the, the loan or something. So, you know, it was... Well, that's too bad, you know, and he's not even going to play hockey at UConn because it wasn't the incentive to go there. Right. But things like that you ran into. That's that's pretty interesting. Without you starting it, you know, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So you have to go through those what I'll call growing pains or beginning stages, you know, the infancy of it. Yeah, there, there was a lot more than the game that was it in the thing. You were managing whatever. I think you said earlier when we were talking on the phone, you said, I felt more like a GM than I did a coach. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you'd have the game presentation and we're going to take a bus. 
So the first thing on game day I do is I go to stop and shop and get three bags of oranges. Then I take call the sub place and get the subs. This if before we had box lunches and stuff, then you order 20 subs. Some guys are ticked off. There's mayonnaise on the ham. The slides, this cheese slides. They want, don't put the mayonnaise this way. I want turkey and salami and cheese. You know, I, you put that thing together and you got a box of sandwiches and oranges. And I had two managers. Uh, they help cut the oranges, but that was beneficial, but you got the stuff, you know, and then you had the bus, one time we went to New York, and it was a night game against Fairleigh Dickinson, and we got down somewhere, and the bus driver says to me, where are you going? I said, to Fairleigh Dickinson, he said, how do you get there? She said, I don't know. That wasn't, that wasn't your job, that was the bus driver's I job. you guys knew how to get there. <laughs> Well, the school was closed at the time because it was a night game, and the game was someplace off campus. So I had to get, we're on a phone booth on the Connecticut Turnpike. I had to bump dimes and quarters from all the kids on the bus to have enough change to make these calls. I get the security at Fairleigh Dickinson, and they had to find someone who could tell me where the rink was, that it was in some community near the rink. And we got there, but... Uh, you know, then it was like, well, why didn't I know? Well, I'll know next time. <laughs> it's, pre it's pretty bad when the person who's driving you someplace doesn't know where they're going and they're assigned for that assignment, right? Yeah. One time we went to Plymouth State and played New Hampshire College. And the weather was rainy or a little sloppy. And the bus driver says, where's Plymouth State? And I said, it's in this community here. He says, okay. So we got to Plymouth State. And it was an outdoor rink, and the ice wasn't good. They sent us to a prep school. And the prep school was maybe another 25 miles. So the bus driver said to me, my log won't allow me to drive any more miles tonight. And I said, well, we got to do something here because the next place we're going is over by this New Hampshire college, and we're, we're staying overnight in a motel. He said, well, I can't drive anymore. Well, I don't drive a bus. <laughs> what are we going to do? We talked to somebody, and then we got it absolved. Yeah. I don't know whether it was New Hampshire State Police or something helped us out, escorted the guy so he wouldn't break his logger because it was extenuating circumstances. But there were things that just looking, I don't believe it, you know? Where's my... I need somebody else with me here. Right, because there's no assistant coach with you, right? There's nobody with me. There's you. Yeah. A part-time coach, no assistant coach, and you're essentially leading the charge. Yeah, I'm making the decisions here. What decisions would be allowed for me to, to make? make? It could be mutinies from any direction. But. Now, did you have to go back and tell Bert that, you know, you, hey, we yeah. drove an extra 25 miles. This could cost us in the budget. Uh, I probably told him, and that's between the bus company and the, Administration. the school. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, you know, there were unique things. I don't think they happened to. They could probably happen on airplanes today with these guys traveling. But in those days, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty unique stuff. So, yeah. what's this got to do with hockey? <laughs> you know? I was hired as a hockey coach, not yeah. a transportation expert. Yeah, but it, it was, it was coming along. That's funny. And Braves, not Bobcats, right? The Quebec was the Braves. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that change happened around 2000 or something. But um, uniforms are 
What's the quality of the? <laughs> I can already tell by the look on your face. What's the What's the quality of the of the uniforms? Well, the uniforms. There were a nice shirt. There was an old shirt, a blue shirt that said Braves down it. Yeah, and it was pretty nice. And I had the box of them in the front seat of my car. Either the ones that weren't issued for the particular game or that I had collected, and I can't remember exactly what. But sun, Sunday night, I went to a Ranger game, and I parked in New Haven on the street because I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't park in a lot. Across the street from the railroad station. And it was Sunday night when I came back. Passenger window of the car was broken. Box of shirts was gone. Oh, no. And uh, my little notebook with all my stuff in it, Next morning, I went down there. I went through the dumpster. I found my notebook, but no shirts. So I had to tell Bert, lost the shirts. Well, there again, that was uh, that was on my dime. Right, so, let, so let's just give the listeners a little... Uh, so Bert Kahn uh, was a longtime athletic director at Quinnipiac. Right. And um, I think it's fair to say he was... Um, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. He was a he was clearly the leader. Right. He was clearly in charge. He didn't really probably care about anybody else's opinion. And right. he was old school 1960 a good man. Mm-hmm. But just that was just his demeanor. He was he was the one in charge. He he let you know he was in charge. Yeah, I, I learned a lot from him and uh I had to learn it myself. You know, he wasn't going to hold your hand and bring you along. And again, he hired me. Nothing wrong with him. He picked the right guy. Right, exactly. (laughs) But, you know, every first incident was like, now I had to replace the shirts on my insurance. I guess that's that would be normal anyway. But if you had a hundred dollar deductible and the shirts cost 200 bucks and you're making 1200. (laughs) Yeah. The math doesn't work real well in that scenario. Yeah. All right, so you buy some shirts, and they were ordered pretty quickly, and we got six shirts back or whatever we needed. But there were just one-of-a-time stories that happened in those years, and you learn how to bounce off it, be resilient. Now you laugh about it, but you don't tell everybody it at the time. Oh, sure, sure. They'd be rolling their eyes at you. Lesson learned not to leave your... Your car on the side of yeah. New Haven uh, by the train station to get yeah. into New York. So, Jim, as you as you watch Quinnipiac play now, right? As someone who was literally the pioneer, I mean, you there was nobody before you. Um, what do you think? Well, I don't know exactly. I think anything can be done. I mean, when when I was a coach here, I didn't think they'd have a medical school here either. So. It's like things can be done and with the right management team in and things can grow, which they grew. And then you get the right coach and he can just bring it the rest of the way. And the final touches were, it was like the dotting the eyes. Rand pulled it off pretty good, I'd say. So, you know, I'm pretty proud, I guess, of the fact that I started something that continued, whether it would continue because of me. It could have started on day zero when Quinnipiac became the Bobcats. Let's be clear. Day zero was when it got approved and you became the head coach. That's day zero. Okay. And from that moment on, Quinnipiac had a hockey team. Quinnipiac could then go Division Two, could then go Division One 
could then go to the ECAC, could then go to the NCAAs, and you, with an 8-5 record, to start it all off, the head coach was you. Yeah. That's pretty darn good, Jim. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to the 10th Second Podcast. In our next episode, you're going to hear from Dana White. She's a nutritionist, and she'll tell you it's not just about what you eat, but it's when you eat it. Special thanks to Jim Kennedy and Jim Warden for their stories and setting the scene of 1975 hockey. production crew is Justin Morosky, who was our producer and audio engineer. David DeRoche handled the audio mastering. Jillian Catalano is our social media coordinator. I'm Keith Woodward, and I'm your host. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the 10th second, and also follow the podcast account at QU Podcasts. And thanks again for joining us on this episode.